Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's subject is a universal truth of Christianity and one of the key contributions that our faith has made in this world. Today we'll be answering the question, how do I truly forgive? We're going to examine a specific teaching from Jesus on the subject and in the process, we're going to uncover why it is so important for Christians to be in the practice of forgiveness. Thanks for listening as we once again look to the Word as we wonder. On this past uh, mission trip to the Dominican Republic, um, I got an unexpected treasure. Um, You see, when I was a a young man, 19, 20 years old, um, I went on a mission trip as well. And one of the things that I found God had gifted me with was playing basketball. That was how God had gifted me. And what that meant for me was that's how I presented outreach into the community. So on those evenings uh, there in the Caribbean, I would go out and pick up the ball. And that's how I got to minister and meet and serve so many of the young men that eventually would come to Bible studies that today are living uh, godly lives and serving uh, full time in the church even. Not a work that I've accomplished, but something that God did through me. Well, on this past trip to the DR, I got to see my son doing something very similar. So I want you to look at these pictures here. Uh, You'll see with the one on the right, this is some of the guys that I was playing with. And who's that over there? That's my boy playing with them too. And um, that that was a a treasure for me to see. That here here was a, a picture of my own son following kind of in my footsteps, doing the very thing that I did. Makes a dad proud? What do you think? I bet sure does make a dad proud. I want you to know that there is something that you can do that makes you look just like your Heavenly Father. In fact, more than anything else that you can do on earth, there's something that only those who follow Jesus Christ, only those who are sons and daughters of God Almighty are able to do. Do you know what it is? It's to forgive. And never more do you look more like God than when you forgive others. As we're going through a series um, entitled, I was wondering, I got this stack of cards and you have asked some really good questions. Uh, Today's question is one that is incredibly difficult. Uh, A a lot of uh, sentences written on this, a few cards showing up. What does it look like to truly forgive? And if we're honest this morning, I would imagine that if you looked deep into your heart, you'd find somewhere there to be evidence of past wounds. Yes, anybody? Uh, Things that people have either done uh, in betrayal, things that they have said to you in intentional harm, in front of you or behind your back. I think that we could more than fill our time recalling all the ways in which sin has reared its ugly head in our lives to cause harm and hurt. And what do we do in a vengeful world? What is our response in our flesh? Well, is it not eye for a eye and tooth for a tooth? And yet there's something that's amazing that has happened with the coming of Jesus and the greatest display of grace in the presence of the greatest display of travesty. In fact, you probably have some very legitimate hurts. I fully believe that. 
One of the things that we need to do as followers of God, though, is humble ourselves to realize there's nothing that has happened to you so vile as what happened to the Holy Son of God. And yet God is able to forgive. Wouldn't it be easier if he didn't, though? (laughs) Wouldn't it be easier if you could just slug them and get it over with sometimes, right? And yet we are tasked with this impossible command. But the command itself is designed to reveal a new kind of people. And that's what we're to be. A brand new kind of people who display through this unique characteristic. The ability to forgive that no one else on earth has the capacity to do. So it's a really good question. It's one that has occupied a lot of my energy and study this week. Um, What I've discovered is that this subject is one uh, that is a hallmark subject in the New Testament teaching. There there are many things that the scripture gives to humanity that only come through Christianity. But I want to submit to you this morning, this is in the top five. And the New Testament is filled. It's after overflowing uh, more passages than I could preach in an entire series on the subject of forgiveness. But for this morning, we're going to be in just... One passage surrounded by a cacophony of supporting verses. That's going to be the direction we're going to go today. I do want to submit to you this morning that if you are serious about life transformation in coming to church, if that's part of the reason why you're here, if you desire to come and worship such that you look less like you and you look more like Jesus, then I want to caution you. You're not going to like this morning's message. This is tough medicine. And so if you're up for it, if you're willing to obey, um, I want to pray for you because it's going to be a hard one. The the lesson of forgiveness. I don't mean I don't mean I forgive you, but I ain't never going to forget. You heard that one before. I don't mean that kind. I don't mean the kind that keeps it that little wrong that you did. I'm just going to keep that in my back pocket for the next time I need it. And I'm going to bring it out. I don't mean that kind of forgiveness. I mean to truly forgive. It's going to be tough medicine. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. As you're turning there, um, I want you to know that this is a subject to which the Apostle Peter wrestled with himself and experienced in a way that... uh, cements forever God's graciousness in the restoration of Peter's own betrayal and abandonment of Jesus. So this story is going to play more as a second half in Peter's life that we won't be able to get to this morning. But as you turn there, Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 21. Matthew records. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some other versions say 70 times, seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10 thousand talents was brought to him. By the way, just interject a little commentary here. Uh, You could, if you have a study Bible, look down in your notes with this. 10,000 talents 
is something to the effect of billions of dollars. It is meant in Jesus's parable to be an astronomical debt that this man owed. So 10,000, 1,000 many times, meaning an an abundance of beyond what anybody could ever count, uh, and then talent being the highest measure of value. This is an incredible debt. Verse 24. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Um, the, the hundred denarii here is equivalent to roughly three months wages. So it's not, a, it's not a small sum. It's not like a rounding error. It's not like you could just write it off. This is a significant debt. Is it payable though? Could, could you pay three months? Yeah, absolutely. This is payable. I just want you to see again the amounts that Jesus is using here. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. He demanded his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. I would like you to notice the exact same phrase that the previous servant asked. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had? On you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Uh, the, the last just main observation that I didn't mention as we read through this text comes at the very beginning. Do you remember Peter thinking that he was pretty pious, right? How many times do I need to forgive? How many? Now, some people would say, well, just one time, right? Fool me once, right? right? Some people would say that. In fact, the rabbis of that day said that you needed to forgive three times. There was no forgiveness on the fourth offense. That was was the common teaching. So Peter already thinks seven is probably pretty generous. Jesus here is telling us it's an infinite number. Not seven. Seventy times seven. Now there's a few uh, conclusions from this text that I want to draw your attention to. 
The first has to do with what true forgiveness is. To begin with, I want you to see here that true forgiveness is unceasing. Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 or seven times 70 times. So true forgiveness has no limit to it. Now, who thinks that's good news for your sin? Anybody? How many times is it going to take before you stop sinning? Can you imagine if God had that attitude towards you? Can you imagine if God treated you the way we sometimes treat one another? I've had enough. Fed up. But God in his mercy, as we read this morning, as you heard from Sue in Psalm 103, he is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's patient with you. This verse coming from Romans, uh, wherever sin increased, grace increased all the more. So if you and I are going to be disciples to look like God, to look like the God we serve, the first thing that you need to understand is that true forgiveness is unceasing. Now, unceasing was a specific word that I wanted to choose. I didn't want it to just simply be unlimited because it needs to be repetitive as well. Right? It's, it's not just I'm going to have an unlimited number of times that I say I forgive you, but you might actually need to be continually in the process of forgiving. In fact, I think this is one of the key issues why sometimes we wonder in our hearts, I don't know if I can forgive because we think it's a one-time event. How long does it take if you, if you cut your hand? How long does it take to heal? You put one Band-Aid on and it's done? Sometimes it takes a little... Time to heal, right? I want you to know the same is true with the wounds that we feel in our soul. With the emotional baggage that we carry from hurts from the past. Sometimes, in fact most of the time, it's going to take a while. And so what that means for you is that true forgiveness is not a one time, well I forgave you, done. Because you know what the devil's going to do? He's going to take the nature of those present wounds that haven't healed and he's going to twist it again in such a way that will vilify that person. And you'll start to wonder, boy, I don't know if I can forgive. I thought I did forgive. What happened? This is why true forgiveness is unceasing. Now in God's grace, and I know this to be true in my life, I would expect that you do as well, that there comes a moment of healing. Amen. There comes a moment where you no longer have cared about that issue that happened in the past. We're going to look at that in a little more detail as we move forward. Secondly, true forgiveness is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the intellect. It's not a matter of what you say. Have you ever met somebody who says one thing but means something different? Right? So what, what truly counts in God's eyes? It's not just what you said. It's the way in which you meant it. In fact, I'd like you to see at the very end of our passage here, look with me back in verse 35. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother, how? From your heart. Genuine, true forgiveness. It's on this point that I would like to offer you, and I don't have this in the notes, so you might need to write it down, but I want to offer you a definition for forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is you withholding your right to call the past to the present. 
That is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is you withholding your right to call the past into the present. Let me break that down if you're trying to wrap your head around that. Uh, you, you have a right to be upset. If you, if you have been sinned against, you have a right to demand justice. I want to make sure that everybody understands that when it comes to forgiveness, there is no version of it that just says, oh, that's okay, you can get away with it. No harm, no foul. Well, there was harm, but beside the point, there's no version of forgiveness that leaves the debt unpaid. Everybody on the same page with me on this? That's not what forgiveness is. You absolutely have a right to justice. You absolutely do. But what forgiveness says is that I'm going to take that right that I have, that's mine, and I'm going to choose to leave it in the past. I'm going to, I'm going to personally decide that I'm going to unhitch myself from that right to demand justice, and I'm going to leave it in the past where it is, and I'm not going to bring it into the present. If you think with me of the courtroom um, analogy when it comes to justification, that, that would be God's declaration of you. How much has God forgiven you? That's an important non-rhetorical question, Lois. That's right. He's forgiven you all your sins. Now imagine on that judgment day. You know how sometimes they do at weddings? Speak now or forever hold your feet, right? Imagine you're on the stand. And God Almighty has declared you forgiven. And then the question is offered, does anyone out here have anything that they'd like to hold against this individual? Scary moment, isn't it? Because I'm pretty sure you're sinners. I'm pretty sure that there's something that's happened in the past that somebody could call into the present. It's critical that we understand God's pattern of judgment so that we know as God looks at you, He's not looking at simply what was said. He's going to look at how you said it. If when you forgive, you truly leave what was done to you, your right to justice, to leave it in the past because you have forgiven them from your heart. Thirdly, true forgiveness is completely undeserved. We know as we look into this story that there is, there is absolutely nothing that required the master to forgive the servant who lost $10 billion. Think about that for a moment. How, how do you misplace $10 billion, folks? What, what do you think this guy did with it? Spent it? Squandered it? Lost it? Somehow he needed to repay it, but he didn't. Incredible amount of money. Originally, you had within this text the expectation of justice, right? Well, the, all of your possessions are mine now. It's going to take you your entire life to pay it back, but so be it. That's how justice works. Yeah, what did the master do? Look with me back in the passage. It's verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. I want you to see this morning, not because he deserved it. This is a difficult one for us. I believe that it's hard because sometimes there is almost an impossible hurdle for us to get over. 
that if we do not have some form of recompense from those who have harmed us, we're not willing to forgive. That's not forgiveness. That would, that would be almost in sense a kind of justice. If I have to wait for you to repay whatever the wrong is, even if that's with an apology, well then, my forgiveness is contingent upon being owed something. Is that how Jesus forgave? Remember, we heard it this morning. As they nailed him to the cross, what did Jesus do? He said what? Help me out. Father? No. As they were nailing him, and this is a present, um, present tense verb, means it's continual. He, Jesus was saying this over and over and over. Were those soldiers saying, I'm so sorry for this. Boy, I just wish you'd forgive me. As a, were they saying that? Not at all. True forgiveness is completely undeserved. I, I don't know of a, if you, if you don't believe me on that, I'm not sure there's a parable that will convince you. This one right here, this insurmountable amount of money, what does the master do? He has pity. He cancels the debt. And he lets him go. Completely undeserved. Look at this passage. This is how we should treat one another. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, forgive how? As the Lord forgave you. And then here's our passage. Two other men, both criminals, went out. They were executed. When they came to the place of the skull, they crucified him. Along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. True forgiveness, church, it's undeserved. Four, true forgiveness only flows from forgiveness. In fact, within this parable, and by virtue of God's um, accountability to you and I as those who have been forgiven, you'll see that's exactly what this parable is meant meant to uh, communicate to us. The master forgave the larger debt, and now having been forgiven, that servant should have the ability to also do what? Should also forgive. In fact, look with me back in the text, verse 33. This is exactly the words that come from the master. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The kindness of God is that he offers it to you and I freely so that we can offer it freely. Doesn't mean we lose any of God's forgiveness. In fact, Paul could have put that in his children's sermon this morning, right? Not only is love something that you give, and the more you give, the more of it you have. Forgiveness is probably the truest, purest form of love that you can show. If you forgive somebody, it's not like you've run out of forgiveness. You've just advanced the relationship of the community. And you've done so because God has first forgiven you. Uh, This past week, my son made a pie for some friends of ours. Now, let me tell you this. My son doesn't have any idea how to make a pie. At all. But who does? It's not me. Try again. Who is it? It's his mom. And she, do, you know what, do you know what she does? She shows him how. And then he did it. And it was, mm, it was awesome. It was so good. Tasted just like hers. God does the same thing for you. He shows you. 
He shows you what forgiveness looks like. You, you have no idea. You can't do it by yourself. You're completely clueless with forgiveness. So he demonstrates it. He shows his love to you in this. While you were still sinners, Christ dies for you. And now that you've seen it, forgiveness is something that you can offer to others. Lastly, fifthly, true forgiveness, it makes you look like God. It makes you the most like God. And we have that again in verse 33. Shouldn't you have forgiven your fellow servant just as I did to you? Come on, man. Look at this. That's the picture that we off, that I offered you. I forgave you that whole amount. You should have looked like me. You should have followed my footsteps. You should have done what I did. I want you to know, church, there's nothing that you can do on earth to look more like God than to forgive others and to do so truly from your heart. Look at this verse from Matthew 5. Jesus says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your heavenly Father. Meaning that you'd look just like him. That's the concept of children, right? You, you, we see this all the time. Oh, they look just like you. That's exactly what you and I desire people to say about us to our heavenly Father. Wow, you look just like God. This passage from 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I'll just repeat it one last time. There's nothing that you can do on earth to look more like God than learn to forgive one another. So with these in mind, I'd like us to jump to, so how, how do we do this then, Right? How do I learn to forgive from the heart? And so true forgiveness has to be a realization that unforgiveness is a grievous sin. In fact, you know what you're doing with unforgiveness? If you are unwilling to forgive, you're actually placing yourself in a higher court than God. You see, if God can forgive the greatest sin, you ought to be able to... Forgive the lesser sin. And there's nothing that anyone has done to you that trumps or surpasses what has been done to Jesus. And so because of this, we have to be very careful. Because do you know what we're actually communicating when we do? I don't want to forgive. I'm not going to forgive. You're placing yourself as a higher authority than even God. Secondly, you need to realize that unforgiveness places you in a prison of your own keeping. Jesus' parable actually highlights for us an illustrative fashion of this exact reality. Look with me back into the text. He says in verse 34, after confronting this wicked servant in anger, his master turned him over to the what? Go, yeah, jail. Now, how long is he going to be there? Until he can pay back everything. Billions of dollars. You're going to be there forever, man. Who is, who is really responsible for this jail sentence? It's really not the master. It's the servant who doesn't want to forgive. They, because of their unforgiveness, have locked themselves in time. They've locked themselves in this place and in this prison. This passage from Matthew 
chapter 5. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember, therefore, that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have seen. Uh, This is one of those rare instances where my slides are out of order. Sorry about that. (laughs) I I think I have the the wrong verses that I meant to put in there. Let me see if I can piece this together from my notes. Um, There's one person who once said that forgiveness or unforgiveness is when you want to really get justice against the other person. Right? You've been harmed. I'm not going to let it go. So I'm not going to forgive. Because I like holding this over you. They said it's like in that desire to harm, you put together in unforgiveness this poisonous concoction. Except you're the one who's drinking it, hoping the other person is going to suffer. That's not how it works. Unforgiveness, hear me, unforgiveness poisons you. It poisons your own life. It actually causes you to freeze in the moment of transgression and fail to move forward. I mean, isn't that what prison is? How how far can you walk in prison? That's about it, right? You're, You're not getting very far forward locked behind bars. Unforgiveness are these bars that prevent you from moving forward. I'll prove it to you. When you were little, you know, like fourth grade, third grade, did anyone ever do something wrong against you? Anyone steal a toy? Say you're a doo-doo head. Go like this. That's what my sister used to do. Drive me crazy. Did, it, did anyone used to do that to you? Right? You all with me? Have you forgiven them of that? I'll let this marinate for a second. It's not a trick question. Here, here, here's what I expect. I expect that there's probably nothing that happened to you that was wrong then that you still want to hold on to, right? Am I right? All of those things that have happened to you in the past when you were really little like that, I'll at least say, hopefully for the most part, you're, you're done and you're over with, right? Do you know what you've been able to do? You've been able to move on in your life. And it's actually the distance from having encountered that transgression to today that makes it so easy to forgive. I actually had somebody come up to me, it was like two weeks ago, and they said, hey, I just want to let you know, you know what I said to you last week, the, the way that I said it, I didn't mean it that way. I wanted to say I'm sorry for that. And I was like, I don't even remember. Yeah, I forgive you. There's no problem. Why was it so easy to forgive? Because I had, I, I had distance from that moment. But if, but if I wanted to hold on to it, do you know what happens to you? If you hold on to it, this is one of the reasons why so many people uh, look back into their past for wounds. Because you know what they've done to them? They've held on to them. And in holding on to them, do you know what you don't do? You don't move forward. You're in prison. But you're in a prison of your own keeping. Jesus gives you the answer. He gives you the freedom. And it's freedom that's found in forgiveness. Does that make sense? Everybody on the same page with that? Unforgiveness is placing you in a prison of your own keeping. Thirdly, 
You need to realize that unforgiveness makes you least like God. You, you don't look at all like your heavenly father when you want to say, I'm not forgiving them. Or when you say, well, I'll forgive, but I'm never going to forget. You know, God doesn't have a problem with his memory, but he, he examples as a model that which we ought to imitate. He says, I will remember it no more in the book of Isaiah. He says as, as high as the heavens are above the earth. He says as far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed your transgression, so far as he forgiven you. But when we don't forgive, you don't look like God at all. Look at this passage from Ephesians. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. This is, this is the call and the cry to us, living in the redeemed community. We don't live the way the world lives. We characterize a whole different kind of people who learn to look just like God looks. Fourthly, you need to realize that unforgiveness, it destroys community. Did you see what happened back in our parable here in verse 30? When he refused, he threw him in prison. Verse 31, what did all the other people do who saw this? What did they do? They, they went and told the master. And not only, but if you look back with me in the text, verse 31, when the other servants saw what happened, what was their response? They were greatly distressed. Do you know what unforgiveness is doing? It's actually corrupting the community. It's breaking the unity that God gave his son to die on the cross for. And it stinks. In, in, my, in my house, I've got this little fish tank. And in, in the fish tank, I have a couple of these snails. They're, they're, they're fun to watch. They move real slow, so you can catch them, right? But if one of these snails die, let me tell you, I, I go down in the office and it's like, whoa, something's different. You know what happened? That snail has stunk up that whole tank. And you know what those fish have to do? They got to live in it. They got to they gotta swim in it. They're not snails. They got no part of the snail's business. But that stench kind of corrupts everything else. And if I don't take care of it quick, do you know what I start finding? Floating fish is what I start to find too. Think, think, about, our, think about our community. Think about the church. What does that ungodly behavior in your life end up doing to the community? It breaks apart everything. That God so entrusted to us to look like his kingdom. Look at this passage from Philippians. Paul says, this is towards the end of the letter. He says, I plead with Eudia and Syntyche to be of the same mind. Another version says, to agree with one another in the Lord. These two women did not get along. Now, thankfully, we don't have that problem here. Everybody gets along all the time, right? But just in case you didn't. Look what look look at what Paul's solution to this is. He's pleading with them, and then he says, "Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, that this is somebody else who's working there in the church of Philippi, to do what? Help them, 
Help these women since they've contended at my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers who name, whose names are in the book of life. Do you, do you see? You, you guys are all together in this. We, we got these two ladies who don't get along. By the way, just count yourself lucky that you didn't live at a time where your disagreement with another person didn't get recorded forever in the Bible. <laughs> right? That's a little bit. Thank goodness. I want you to see, though, Paul's effort to say, no, we've got to get them to agree with each other. We've got to get them to forgive one another. And I need the whole community to come together and help them to do this. That's how critical this is. This in Galatians 5, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is filled up in this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out because you will be destroyed by who? By each other. I, I want you to recognize that's exactly what we see in Jesus' parable. That unforgiveness, it corrupts the community. And so we've got to get a handle on it. Lastly, realize that unforgiveness of others implicates you in your own sin before God. Um, if I could beg your patience on this one for a moment. This last application I think is the one that you need to really listen closely on. Your unforgiveness implicates your own sin. I want to show you how this New Testament teaches this. And, and by the way, you, you can catch it in the parable, right? It was, it was the servant who was forgiven, totally forgiven, master canceled. He then goes and chokes the other guy. Pay me back everything. And then what happened to that debt that was forgiven? Do you remember? Oh, oh, so that's how it is, huh? This is how we're going to live our life. We're going to hold everyone accountable. That's what you want? Fine. That debt I forgave, it's back on the books. It was gone, and now it's back. And so I, I want us to be very careful that we understand what is perhaps the number one reason why you should be encouraged to forgive is because I need forgiveness. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to get forgiveness on that day. Here's what the Bible says. Look with this. Look with me in this. Matthew 6. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This passage from Romans 2, Paul says, You therefore have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Do you get it? Oh, it's so easy to judge though. We all love to sit in the judge's chair, but we want to be let off the hook ourselves. This from James 2. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. You're going to be judged. That's fact, right? It's appointed on a man once to die, and then judgment. So that's, that's the way it works. And if you don't have mercy, then judgment without mercy will also be shown to you. One more verse, Matthew 7, 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Look back with me in this passage. He says in anger, verse 34, 
His master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he has owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I, in, in my study on this, there were, there were some teachers who, are, who were saying that what Jesus intends to understand here is that really the judgment you're going to experience is a temporal loss of blessing on, on this earth. I'm not sure that's really being honest with the text. What, what he's trying to do is prevent a, a, a concept, and this would be a false teaching, that you just can lose your salvation willy-nilly all the time. I would submit to you that if you don't forgive, it may in fact be you've never really been saved. Because remember, true forgiveness can only flow from forgiveness. Therefore, if you're not able to forgive, it could very well be you don't know what forgiveness is. In other words, you're not a Christian. You've never really been saved. Now, I want you to know, I'm not saying that's what this is, but I'm saying it could be. It very well could be. In fact, I think this passage supports that uh, possibility from 1 John 3. John writes, now we know we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So what do you think? Saved or unsaved? Pretty clearly, I think, saying, no, not a Christian. And so this is why I think that this final point is something that I really want you to open your ears to. Unforgiveness is going to implicate you in your sin, not only to lose temporal blessings. By the way, that's a guarantee. I guarantee if you don't forgive, you're going to be imprisoned. Not blessings. That, that could be for you temporal. True, redeemed, I am a born-again Christian. I am saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit. I can still not forgive, though. That doesn't, that doesn't jeopardize my salvation. That will absolutely corrupt the blessings that I would otherwise receive. However, it could also equally be that the reason you don't forgive is because you've never been saved. I don't know which of those it is. I just know that I think the door is left open here. And so this is where I think I really want to encourage you. This is a big deal. Forgiveness is a really, really big deal. So that should solve your problem, right? Everybody can forgive now, right? You're all good? I got one more. If you're looking at your notes, I got one more slide to show you here. Because as I read the question again, it wasn't just the scriptural. Give me the, give me the background on it. I think the person who wrote this question was asking, but how? How do I do it? I'm really hurt by this. And I just, I don't want to live in unforgiveness. I want to forgive, but help me. How do I do it? And so this is the really critical part. How do you truly do it? You be like Jesus. That's how. And so number one, you stop seeking revenge. Because that's what your unforgiveness is really wanting to do. Revenge for you who have been hurt. Remember, you have a right. Absolutely, you are in the right to demand justice. The problem is, it's going to be demanded of you then. I don't know how, if you're okay with that, but that's, that's the deal. If you're going to demand justice from others, it will be demanded of you also. And so how do I truly forgive? I have to stop wanting to find that revenge on the person who hurt me. I got I to gotta let it go. 
But it's so sweet, isn't it? We just love to just get them back what they deserve. You had it coming, right? I, am I the only sinner in church today? What do you think? So how, how, do, we, how do we do this? Because this is true. Look at this from Romans chapter 12. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This passage from 1 Peter 2. This is an important one. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled insults at him. Have you ever had insults thrown at you? What did Jesus do? He did not retaliate. When he suffered, have you ever suffered? What did Jesus do? He made no threats. Now, let's pause there for a second. Because is what happened to Jesus unjust? Yes or no? It's not a trick question. Yes, that was unjust. But do you know what Jesus did? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, that you may inherit a blessing. I want you to know, God will take care of it. Church, hear me. God will right every wrong. He will hold every sin accounted, either in the blood of his son, or out of the life of those who are wicked and want nothing to do with God. God will take care of it. Secondly, how, how do I be like Jesus? Pray for them. I told you this was going to be tough medicine, right? There's probably no better action that you can have than to desire the good for those who want evil over you. It will completely change the perspective that you have on them. This passage from Matthew 5, Jesus says, we read it already. I tell you, love your enemies and what? This is not me telling you. This is who? This is Jesus telling you, pray for those who persecute you. Look, look with me again back into the text. Are you guys in Matthew 18 still? Just take a look with me back in there one more time. Verse 27. Did you see what he did? The servant's master took pity on him. Does it say took revenge on him? No, took pity. So be like Jesus. Secondly, what did he do? Second thing. Canceled the debt. By the way. Has that ever happened in real life for anybody? It's very rare, right? But did you owe money on something, right? And, and somebody just said, forget it. Don't worry about it. It's, it's canceled. If you have ever had that very rare privilege in your life, you know how amazing that feels. By the way, how transformative that feels to have your debt canceled. This kindness is the exact thing that you need to begin to build in your heart if you're going to learn to truly forgive. How do you do it? By praying for them. Don't seek revenge. Seek blessing for them. You're going to be pretty courageous to do this, church. Uh, most people aren't. They're just going to listen to me and leave today, right? But maybe, maybe you might try it. Maybe you might say, all right, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to pray for that person, that piece of scum, dirt bag, no good. I'm going to pray for them. <laughs> maybe don't add those words. I'm going to look for my mom here. Don't say that. 
If you begin to pray for them, God will begin to change your heart for them. And you will be able to forgive. Lastly, serve them. Back in the text again, the the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and then let him go. What a service, isn't it? He served him by releasing him from the debt that was owed. We are at already Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy's hungry, give him some food. I'll give him a knuckle sandwich is what I'll give him. <laughs> Not that kind of food, Ryan. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. One last passage that develops this a little bit further from Luke. This is what Jesus says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And watch this. You will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. And I'll tell you what will happen. If you can learn to forgive those who have wronged you, do you know what God does? In that moment where in your heart you leave the past in the past, God takes a little picture of you. He takes a little snapshot. And you know what God does with you in that moment? He frames it and he puts it on the wall with all the angels all around. Do you know what God does? He calls the angels and he says, look at my son or daughter. Don't they look just like me? Let's pray.